0: Welcome to School of Movies, Logan.
1: Logan, what did you do? Charles, the world is not the same as it was. Mutants. They're gone now. I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel, I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. Where is she? Beneath the She's like you. Of time. Very much like you. The feelings disappear. She needs our help. You are someone to come on. Someone has come along I am still right here And you could have it all
0: is, by the way, one of the most perfect trailers ever made. An incredibly lean, powerful, expressive fusing of music and cinematography, making it clear what the core movie is about without showing their cards on Laura, which they saved for the arguably even better second trailer. The original music video by Mark Romanek capturing the faded grandeur of Johnny Cash in his final years is a work of art. The introduction of everything that combination of song, which even Trent Reznor freely admits Cash sang better, to everything we know about Logan, combine into an intoxicating cross-section of what the final film became. Far from spoiling the film, it puts us in exactly the right mindset. It's the third Wolverine movie, the tenth X-Men related movie, and represents a sobering close to that saga. Which of course continues anyway in The New Mutants, coming April 13th 2018, Deadpool 2 in July 2018, and Dark Phoenix in November 2018, in what promises to be a banner year for Fox and their ever-expanding IP. But as well as this, Logan functions as a standalone story that doesn't quite fit into the continuity of any of the previous movies, yet somehow manages to reference them all. With this burden of making past events written by and directed by other people with no long-term plan not actually matter, at least not the specificity, we are free to explore a sparing and lean story of just a handful of characters. The stakes could not be lower. There isn't a world to save, not even a city. Mutant affairs are pretty much over and done with, as are mutants. It's a sad epilogue to a lengthy struggle for survival that a lot of heroes and unseen cultural pariahs lost badly. All that's left are two indescribably old men, old, weak, flawed men, who are now in very different roles, and yet they find new lease of life, new purpose at the end, sheltering and shepherding a gifted, hunted child, and eventually her friends, to a safety they will have to make for themselves. Now this could be an Oscar contender, and the fact that it is often billed as a western, being deliberately styled after a lot of those filmic conventions, as well as heavy themes of exploitation, death and regret, makes it arguably the most worthy of all superhero-related films so far, in terms of recognition by the establishment and their prestige-partitioning abilities. Yet that does a disservice to all other exceptionally accomplished superhero fare, since this isn't a genre, as I have to keep repeating, it's a subject matter and an element that can be included in virtually any genre you could name. It also does a disservice to Logan itself as a film which only weighs in with its devastating power because of those less accomplished X-Men movies. The ones that introduced Charles and James, the ones that set up and give us a clear idea of who they should be when things are going right, and when the shit hits the fan. We've seen both of them in pain before, and interacting with a dozen other less developed characters, and it's that absence, and the echo of that pain, magnified here, that gives Logan the weight. In a vacuum, if we only had just met these characters, it would be a great film, purely because of how well it is put together. But it's the layers on top of those old performances, the strength these actors can draw on, and the significance of both their lives that we come in knowing and prepared for, that give their interactions with Laura and one another that edge, that gravity. This film becomes transcendent, a tearful goodbye to actors in roles we have appreciated on and off for 17 years. So in terms of the world, while the stakes couldn't be lower, while a few small people's hope for the future hangs upon a gossamer thread, it's that fragility we cling to, that believable loss that we fear, even as we are losing everything. And even as our fallen heroes are held up as examples and eclipsed by a force of nature so astonishing that she leaves all other mutants looking like feeble fireworks displays. A will and an intelligence and a beating heart that are so inspiring and so in danger that the stakes flip all the way around and could not be higher for us. And this film devastated Sharon and I. It left us in such pain and contemplation that we needed most of the year to recuperate and reformulate. The moment was still too near, and it will never fail to be sharp. But at least we can discuss the details to illuminate the corners of this, the real, last X-Men movie. You haven't read Old Man Logan, have
2: you?
0: No. Okay, good, don't. Uh, okay. And that goes for uh, everyone listening. My God, if you if you have read it, you know exactly what I'm about to talk about. If you haven't read it, don't. It's not at all the same story at all. Uh, there are similarities that, you know, Mangold himself would say there are elements, but he's clearly taken the bits that are the strongest and woven them together with a hell of a lot of... Material that he has drawn these characters to in a natural conclusion. The basic premise is similar in that Logan has to drive out west. He has to go to Vegas. Um, Hawkeye turns up and he's this old grizzled bastard with a white ponytail and it's basically Green Arrow in The Dark Knight Returns, that seminal work that no one will ever shut up about. Uh, he has to go somewhere to pick something up and it turns out it's his daughter. And Logan goes with him. I think. I don't know if at the beginning his family are all killed, or at the end his family are all killed, or the middle his family are all killed, but it's very much a my dead family. There's no Laura, of course, that's not there at all. Mm. The, the Wolverine Logan character is pretty much the same, uh, just that without the Hugh Jackman, because Hugh Jackman came in and made the character something different to what he was. Mm. And it's a horrible, like an even worse apocalyptic future where just everything's gone to shit. Everyone's a farmer in this nuclear irradiated hellhole. The Incredible Hulk clan run uh, America and uh, it's just a bunch of hillbilly hulks and hulklings because um, Incredible Hulk just started raping his sister uh, a while back and just producing these hulk spawn. And it's just these horrible hillbilly farmer gangsters Yeah, wow. It's Mark Millar. He's a fucking asshole.
2: So he turned the Hulk into Jabba the Hutt.
0: Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's trying to draw a parallel. like um, In Mark Millar's head, Hulk and Wolverine have always had this unresolved thing, like they first started. (laughs)
3: Like when when
0: Wolverine first turned up, when he was like, I'm going to kick your ass hulk in that first ever issue of incredible hulk it began a, a lifelong vendetta between them and yeah. it's like yeah let's 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 explore that shall we
2: i've just got this vision of wolverine standing in front of hulk going there is no
0: you us. and me
2: we don't exist
0: <laughs> i mean they've definitely clashed repeatedly on occasion but that's not what that's not the demons of logan's past mm. that's not what needs to be confronted and my God, the way that it's confronted. Hawkeye's daughter turns out to be horrible and tries to kill him, so he kills her, or someone else kills her, or Wolverine kills her, I don't know. They ram jeeps in and out of places. It's like Garth Ennis, but more spiteful and less artful.
3: Mm.
0: It's horrible. Every time uh, Mark Millar gets handed an actual property of someone that we care about, I just feel like, this is a horrible feeling in my gut. Of Now you're going to make something nasty and sadistic out of something that could have been inspiring.
2: He's still tying Barbie dolls to the backs of chairs so that yeah. they can be tortured. Yeah,
0: and yeah. You know, okay. at, at the end, uh, old man Logan kills Hulk or kills Banner, um, and uh, and and that's it. I think his family all die, and and that's it. Now, the one major thing that they've uh, incorporated uh, that was the most troubling as hell, uh, but somehow James Mangold managed to turn it into something dark and terrible, but subtle. Uh, is what happened to the X-Men and um, Wolverine remembers like halfway through the book that uh, he and Jubilee were just watching the view screens one night at the X-Mansion and then a whole bunch of supervillains burst in like just the entire rogues gallery of the X-Men and Wolverine went crazy trying to protect Jubilee and was just you know killing all of these guys and at the end, Mysterio turns up and goes, ha, ha 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 and then removes the illusion, and Wolverine has killed everyone. And it's like, you know, even Jubilee pleading for her life and 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 Wolverine just ripped her to pieces. And so Logan is justifiably and understandably a broken man after that. And it's this just Yes, but that wouldn't happen, type type situation. Like that. That's that's too horrible. It would happen in your Horrible Story Wanted, Mark Miller. In fact, it's literally what happened in your Horrible Story Wanted, which became a horrible, entirely separate movie. All the superheroes died and the villains won. We get it. We know that you get a boner when you think about that. But they took that for Logan and made that something that Charles had done entirely by accident. In a, you know What we can see is manifestly something that's beyond his control, naturally occurring and a horrible parallel with one of the things that's the most frightening about getting old and your loved ones getting old. Alzheimer's. It's heartbreaking. And the fact that Charles doesn't even remember it makes it worse in the film. um, From the sounds of it, 600 people were paralysed during that um, sequence and at least seven people were killed. So basically all of the surviving important X-Men who were hanging around, maybe some of them got away. But the thing that really struck me throughout Logan is if there was anyone left that we knew, they would have called upon them. They would have asked for help. Or Logan would have at least wrestled with the idea that maybe he should... Mm. But the fact that he doesn't suggests that's it's just them. There's nothing left to go home to. Yeah.
2: And by this point, frankly, um, any that were left would have been aging themselves.
0: Mm. We also we saw Logan Noir as well uh, as a part of this, um, and it, uh, following in the Mad Max Fury Road vein of. Uh, Recoloring into monochrome uh, an existing film print Uh, James Mangold saw that and went yes that's a great idea and did the same with Logan and it got some screenings as well. It's a wonderful extra uh, to uh, have as as an extra disc. It's um, by no means as striking as the film itself in colour as neither was Fury Road but it does allow you to focus on the uh, faces. It does allow you to focus on faces, eyes, a series of stripped down super intense performances it's not so hot during action scenes because it's harder to see what's going on much like fury road at least when they start involving stunties and there's a lot of punching and flipping There's quite a lot of gray blurs but for the 90 percent of the film that's drama very serious and focused
2: the way it um watching it in that format made me look harder for the details mm-hmm. um, which w- kind of was a, a slightly different take on it like you said, an accompaniment rather than the the primary way to see it, I think I think the only thing it really um, it, it, that really detracted uh, from it, which I noticed when we went back and watched the commentary version which was obviously in colour mm. um, is that Mangold's got a great eye for using light yes um, and there's this, there's, there's several scenes where you've got um, sort of this, you've got a very soft dawn that casts a toad on the scene that follows. And that you've got gets lost. Um, this, the threatening nature of neon um, that he uses incredibly well on more than one occasion, or the relentless sun of uh, of New Mexico. Mm that beats down on them when they're feeling cornered and hemmed in by everything around them. And and you do sort of lose a little bit of that when you're watching it in black and white.
0: Yeah. Uh, it it doesn't sell it as the future in black and white either because you don't have that. I mean, the neon's there, but it's just white.
3: Mm, yeah. You
0: don't have that dazzling movement of the commercials and the, the the advertising and just that sense of, you know, with all of this, Crap world going on. crapsack world, I believe, is the trope. Um, <laughs> they're still advertising there saying, hey, don't look at all of that. Look at this. You want to buy this soda? Look at me, yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah, very much Blade Runner. And uh, they were very sparing with it, but it's enough to tell you about the world that they're in, this cruel, angry, selfish world. It's not hopeless, but it seems like the pockets of humanity are further between so the, the, the first thing we get to see is uh, Logan defending his car from those uh, the, the thieves. And the fact that he values his car over his own body, even though he's having difficulty healing. Uh, Mikey pointed this one out on uh, Movies with Mikey, which is a seminal uh, piece of work from him. Um, a fantastic episode on Logan. Uh, it's really, really difficult for him to to heal now. So he's enduring inevitable agony in defense of this car and we are repeatedly shown money troubles and how difficult it is for him to just get by and this negotiating over the Suncatcher, and I, I felt like the Suncatcher was going to pay off at some point but it's just this it's this the next dream the small dream like you know Charles couldn't have that uh, dream of mutant human coexistence but we can maybe have a small boat and that just It diminishes and diminishes until when they're at the farmhouse... Uh, it, it goes out like a light. Mm.
2: Which I think is kind of signalled with the conversation that he has with Caliban towards the beginning, where Caliban's sort of pointing out, you know, you're going for a boat called the Sunseeker. This is not something I am going to live well on. Yeah. That's a whole third of their party, their family, if you like, yeah. that is not going to fit in this world, which means that at some point he's going to have to reevaluate this, mm-hmm. um this bright future that he's got his eye on.
0: Uh, Mangold mentioned that uh, in the trio they've set up for themselves, Calavan's kind of uh, accepted that he's always third, he's always last. He's the Ron Weasley of their group. Mm. Uh, and it's frustrating for him. Um, he carries on doing it because it feels like he has nothing else.
2: Mm. He do, well, he does it out of guilt, I think, in part, yes. which is something that Pierce, uh, not Pierce, um, Xander Rice challenges yes. him with later, mm-hmm. that he has done bad things in his past... Um, And as a result, he's willing to do certain things to make up for that.
0: Mm. And Steve Merchant doesn't, because everyone else does so fantastically, Steve Merchant never gets his props uh, enough as uh, Caliban. It's a small, thankless task. And he's just right. It's the kind of understated role this series has needed since the beginning.
2: And what I really, really loved about this as well is we've seen Steve Merchant in a lot of other stuff that many people who saw and loved this film may not have done because they're they're British comedy programmes that may not have got a transatlantic air. But he's
0: not even well-known in England. Maybe Um, he was talking about trying to get into the club (laughs) and they were like, who are you, Bruce Forsyth?
2: (laughs) But, um, but what I loved about the way he performed this role was that it's very, very recognisably Steve Merchant. He yeah. doesn't bring some amazingly transformational acting skill out of the bag and do something that's totally different. And you'd go, oh my God, I wouldn't even have known that was Steve mm. Merchant, except for the fact that he's a tall albino gonk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what Steve Merchant always describes himself as. Yeah. Um, but um, but it's him. It's so recognisably him, and Mangold uses that to best effect, which mm. is great.
0: He's the perennial last in the queue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so which,
2: as a... Caliban was a Morlock, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So that absolutely fits.
0: Now, for eagle-eyed folks who saw um, X-Men Apocalypse, uh will remember there was a Caliban scene in that, um, and X-Men Apocalypse takes place in the 80s, and Caliban is a different actor, playing it as a completely different character. He's like, ah, oh, Caliban wants to know information in uh, Egypt. Psylocke will show you to the blah, blah, blah. So he's Igor. Basically, yes. Um, and James Mangold was like, I don't know if he was watching X-Men Apocalypse or, or checking out X-Men Apocalypse on, on set, and it was like, oh, y- you've got a Caliban. Yeah, I've been, yeah, we've, we've got a Caliban. Huh. And that, uh, I believe, is indicative, i put this in my movie a day, of exactly how organized the X-Men films have always been. James Mangold needs three mutants, four mutants, for his movie. And one of them has already been thrown in like a Christmas decoration, an extra one out of the box mm. to X-Men Apocalypse, a character you didn't need but that's the level of overview there is and but that also speaks very highly of the fact that James Mangold was just do, allowed to do his thing there was no like meetings you can use this you cannot use that we've got this grand overview so it's almost like the lack of overview the lack of planning it's allowed James Mangold's clear vision to be able to play itself out well, they... they didn't meddle with him like they did with the wolverine where they forced him backwards into more of a, cl- uh, a classic brian singer x men shitty Super science lab at the end.
2: Were they filming Apocalypse at the same time? About that. So Apocalypse effectively effectively provided the distraction. Yes. For the execs, this is the big budget one. Yeah. Keep your eye on that one. Leave James Mangold alone. Let's <laughs> double
0: check the uh, budgets, there, shall we? Logan cost ninety-seven million. Now you could nearly buy four moustaches with that. Mm-hmm. Twenty-five million for a Henry Cavill's moustache. Uh, so that's four moustaches there, which is uh, that's that's still quite a lot for for the. I mean, it, it looks fantastic, and he's really used that 97 million, mm. and, and it made 616 million. That's a fantastic times six multiplier. Mm. Okay, X Men Apocalypse. £178 so seven Cavill moustaches. And it made 543, so it made less. So so it made less than Logan. Less than Logan, because it's shit. It's a piece of shit. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, that much seems evident.
0: It's the worst X-Men movie. Stop your internal dialogue. It is the worst X-Men movie, for reasons I've gone into on on our operatic-in-its-intensity X-Men Apocalypse show. But back to Logan. Uh, The scene where he drives those chanting drunken boys past what's obviously a troubled border uh, kind of felt like it was hitting really close to the bone.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think in part that whole... um, you're really seeing a distinction between Logan and his view of the world now and and his fares... His um, this this whole idea of him being part of the service industry and the division that is between the people who provide the service and the people who pay for the service, um, and they are utterly ignorant of mm. the the tension and the conflict that this that, that hovers around them all the time. Basically, they have the money to buy themselves the distractions, yeah, that they can sit in and and um, feel like they're not. Mm. affected by what's going on. It's
0: significant that he's a limo driver rather than a taxi driver.
2: Mm. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. Although I think, um, wasn't it hinted, maybe Mike, you said this, that the automated lorries suggests that there are other automated vehicles as well and cabs are likely to be the first thing that that becomes... Yes. um, done on an automated system
0: so if you uh, if you are hiring a, a limo you want that luxury you want to, to be able to have you want a to chauffeur. know you
2: hired a person yes
0: <laughs> is there a person in this car mm. yeah. yeah so um but you know the, the, the fact that they're like usa usa what what are you proud of at this stage mm. And I I like the the fact that the uh, movie presents this seemingly without comment, but there's obviously this very sad undercurrent of how things have gotten.
2: And especially since it's a particular element of things we see today made more intense and, and not louder, but just there's less to allow you to get away from it.
0: Another aspect that makes it feel like a Western is how lawless it is. Logan gets into a horrific fight at the beginning and messes those guys up worse than Deadpool. There's no repercussions. It's not like the police are looking for a, a, a maniac with, you know, who's just hacking up uh, gangbangers with knives. This is a crime that goes effectively unnoticed, or at least that Logan runs from enough to uh, avoid being tracked down. He's not afraid of this kind of desperate struggle he's not looking over his shoulder
2: how does Piers pick it up it's from a police report isn't it it's not been on the news or anything like that so like you say nobody's really paying attention
0: yeah But then when he gets to Charles I, I was getting over the initial fight but seeing Charles laid as low as they lay him from the get go I considered whether it might be a gradual thing, where they just go straight out of the gate. He's demented. He's babbling. He's talking about Taco Bell. The the fact that it's Patrick Stewart and he's very British, talking about that meaningless American commercial stuff, and that the idea of Professor X and Taco Bell just these two things don't go together. That just ramps off up the wrongness of this situation. Mm. And his candor with Logan, his caregiver, is what so often happens when people begin to lose themselves. Their sense of being trapped and bewildered causes them to lash out. And what they say can be devastating.
1: What a disappointment you are. When I found you, you were pursuing a career as a cage fighter. A warm capper to a life of an assassin, hooked on barbiturates. You were an animal. But we took you in. I gave you a family. They're gone now. Logan? Logan? What did you do? What did you do? Answer me! Why are we here? No one should live like this. drugged in a fucking tank. for your own good. No, no, it's not. You're waiting for me to die.
0: This unutterably dignified actor, now having lost his dignity, now needing help to go to the toilet. Cursing and angry and frightened and no longer the rock that you need him to be. Now he's crushing you.
2: Although, one thing I really loved was that uh, uh, watching it this time around, not before, but now, I can see McAvoy's Days of Future Past performance lying behind it. Through it, yeah. Mm.
0: That's another reason why these, uh, you know, those past movies gave this the strength it needed. But I surmise that the three best X Men movies are about pain. Just a deep, deep unfixable pain that you live with Mm. Eric in uh, First Class Wade in Deadpool and Logan and Charles in uh, Logan and it it never seems like that pain is really there in all of those other ones there's Charles in Days of Future Past for that one or two scenes that he's really allowed to be that Mm. but the film isn't about that because it's being put together by people trying to do too much at once
2: yeah yeah, that that's one of the that's one of those films that gets way too bogged down in its plot, which yeah. I think is what there's there's a, a point in the commentary where um, Mangold's talking about uh, films that are too plot heavy and mm. you don't see the characters. The characters don't have the complexity that he wants to work with because the plots are too complicated.
0: Yeah, and he was also lamenting the destruction of cities, which you get numb to eventually. Mm. That doesn't mean that all movies with destruction of cities are bad, but the ones that are good are good despite the destruction of the city, not because of it.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. But that that idea of a, a film focusing on the sensation of pain and it, it being about that for a character or two, um, there's a few of the films that this really... Put me in mind of there was um, obviously Blade Runner we've already mentioned, um, but a couple of others that occurred to me: Drive, yeah, um, Under the Skin, yes, and uh, The Hunger and Only Lovers Left Alive.
0: Good call with The Hunger.
2: And it's there's this there's something very specific that I've always kind of associated with. I, I used to watch a lot of films very very late at night mm. on my own um, when I was a teenager and there's a certain quality about them that kind of gives you the feeling that your central characters are um, very separate from the rest of the world, that they basically, they have to interact with the everyday world, but they're not part of it. Mm. And all of those films that I've mentioned, I think, have that quality. And Logan really has that quality. Mm. Um, The idea that, I know I said about the, the... USA USA teenagers existing in this bubble that mm. isolates them from the, the bad things that go on in the world but the main characters exist in, in a bubble of a sort as well and it, it keeps them apart from everything um, and it, it's kind of got that feeling of um, almost dissociation mm. of it where you can wander through a, a busy street and not feel anything around you it's very disorienting but it's, it's I love it when I see it communicated really well in a film.
0: Yeah, It's important to note as well that the spots of humour in the film, when they do occur, hit home really well. They never feel out of place, they're never tonally mismatched and you cling to them because everything's gotten so dark. You need that little dash of levity. Most of us are afraid of growing old and infirm and pain before death. Even if you're not afraid of growing old and you embrace the idea of being an old wizard or an old witch, no one looks forward to pain and infirmity and dependence. And this is unflinching in the way that it delivers us that, affecting someone that we've known since he was a young, fresh-faced man. It feels too soon, but in the way that it should.
1: Where are you keeping the old man? hmm? over there. I'm told the HSA classifies his brain as a weapon of mass destruction now. Damn shame what happened back east. It's been dead for a year. I need the girl. What girl? One that goes along with that ball you're holding. There's no girl here. I got hands. See, you're not the only one that's been enhanced. Logan, Logan. This is who I've been telling you about. This is Laura. We've been waiting for you. Hemos estando es- esperando por ti. Come, come here. It's okay. Come.
0: Okay, so Laura's bloody introduction and I put that in a note here in a year of Thor fighting Hulk the return of the Guardians of the Galaxy a brand new Spider-Man the Lego Bat family the solo debut of Wonder Woman the last stands of Caesar and Wolverine Carly Steron kicking balls in Atomic Blonde John Wick's Escalation evil Optimus Prime Nazi killing Bumblebee King Kong versus Helicopters and the first ever ice cream social of the Justice League the biggest badass of the lot was an 11 year old girl
2: She's positioned as being um, a little bit animalistic, and it's pretty obvious that a lot of what she does is instinctive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but in a way, it's that's, in her DNA. That's what makes it so powerful. It's not just the DNA. This is the thing. What gets me every time when she comes out of the shack with the head, with the reaver's head, and there's that moment where she throws the um, the shackles on the floor. Mm and drops the bag and pops her claws and it's, it's that moment that every time I listen to um, Way Down which is the trailer track that's the image that comes into my head and the strength of it for me is the idea that the most defenceless creature in the world is a little girl and that's what people use a shorthand when they need to show um vulnerability and if they are hacks then they use a little girl being hurt to show the ultimate cruelty and the ultimate evil Because it's like this this thing, by its very nature, is entirely defenceless. How could anybody possibly be evil enough to visit harm upon this? She is equipped with everything she needs to protect herself. And she doesn't need to depend on other people for physical survival. She has to depend on other people for an awful lot of other stuff she desperately needs to be socialised, that she desperately needs to be shown care and love and affection and all of the things that she couldn't get as the super soldier that they were trying to make her be, but that when it comes down to surviving and getting through what is in front of her, often, literally, (laughs) she has everything she needs, that is one of the most powerful and empowering ideas that I can feel. And it gets me every time.
0: Daphne Keane was a gift to these filmmakers, a treasure to a director. If you watch the um, way she did her casting video and she's you know put in a room with Hugh Jackman and not only is she not starstruck not you know bowled over and not like you know betraying oh i'm so super nervous i don't want to mess this up she embodies the character immediately you know he's screaming shut the fuck up right in her face and she's pushing back with this ferocity it's one of the performances of the century
1: james showed me a clip of her audition on camera And he said, I'd just like to know what you think of this. And she was playing the scene, and it was very, very good. And then on the clip, she asked the director, could she improvise the scene? And she went into her own version of the scene in a mixture of Spanish and English. And it was one of the most extraordinary bits of audition tape I'd ever seen in my life. It's 2,000 fucking miles. You've been sitting in the back. You could have fucking (inaudible) talked to me this whole time. Dejar tirada, me gritas, ni me hablas, me insultas. do oh, no. t- Shut t- the t- fuck t- up! Mason, Richter, and Bobby, and Charlie. Who's that? Mason, Richter, Kiddon, so Bobby, and Sharna. Who is Charlotte. that? Who is it? Montana, Montana. What? What about Montana. it? No. Yes, your mom, she read a lot of stories. Your mom made this up. This is all bullshit. You understand? Yes, I know, I know. I read it, I've seen it. This is a comic book, okay? This is all just fantasies, all just pictures made up pictures. Yes, oh okay, I understand. Yes, okay, ah. fine, yeah. This place here, okay, this does not exist. Listen to me. This does not no existo. Eden, no existo. There is no Eden. Understand? <laughs>
3: C.C. Eden. No,
1: there Eden. is no Eden, there is no Bobby, there is no Richter, there is none of it. This is all just some big fucking lie. And I know where fucking Montana is, and I'm not taking it there. There are qualities you can't ask of
3: somebody to deliver. A level of strength, a sort of stage presence and a maturity that still doesn't really make sense to me. That felt like she could do this most difficult thing of, on the one hand, being... This emotional kind of co-star with Hugh and and with Patrick and on top of that then also managed the physicality which is pretty demanding she was really a remarkable discovery
1: and she came in for the audition there's a scene where she punches me in the arm and i went home and i
0: had bruises all over my arm no offense to all those guys i fought but i've never gone home with bruises (laughs) until that day and what this audio cannot convey what requires a visual element is how she deadlocks her eyes on Hugh Jackman and she will not let her point drop. She refuses to be intimidated by him. The character, the actor, she is absolutely set on her goals. You set her up against Daniel Day-Lewis, my left foot is breaking first. What we got right here are shoe-in nominations for Best Support Actress, Best Support Actor, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Film. Not necessarily winners, nominees. This is more than worthy.
2: The score is amazing as well. Oh, Marco
0: Beltrami's okay. score. Yeah.
2: Script-wise, would it go for? Be- would it be best adaptation?
0: I don't know about script because some of the best stuff is wordless. Good point. Example um, during the um, grave-digging scene, when uh, Logan starts to give what might be a eulogy, and he's standing there, unable to find the words, and he mutters, "What?" Well, I had to check the subtitles. He said, at least there's water, and then started to say something else, and then starts again composing himself, at least there's water. Meaning, at least Charles has a spot of beauty to be in, but it's too hard. He's emotionally overwhelmed, and the only thing he can do at that point is to channel all of that into fury, and go over and beat the living fuck out of his truck, which obligingly won't start, and then pass out in the road because he has hit the end. In the script, it just says, at least he has water.
3: He's got water. He's got
1: water.
0: That's Hugh Jackman being able to pull an astonishing performance from how he knows Logan would feel at that point. That is one of the major advantages to to this idea of a ongoing universe that one that um, you know. I'm seeing BuzzFeed articles already. Can we do away with ongoing universes? They're not working. Thank you, Justice League. And it's like Thor Ragnarok just came out
2: and was awesome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Avengers Infinity War got more views in one day than any trailer that's ever been shown. People clearly and manifestly respond to these ongoing universes. And while you might want to get clicks, it's not going to change that fact. But, you know, beyond the fact that they are appealing, they allow a character to be built upon and built upon and built upon. Whereas previously, they would have been exhausted and exasperated. Uh, look at Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean is not a ongoing film series. It's a film with four sequels. And by the time they got to the fourth, they may as well have swapped Johnny Depp out for a different actor, like Kane Hodder for uh, uh, Jason. Like, he doesn't care anymore. Um, but the fact that Jackman's always cared about Wolverine, and, you know, for better or worse his performances in his previous X-Men movies have by and large been the best things in all of them mm, X-Men yeah. 1, X-Men 2, X-Men 3.
2: Now that right. See this is this is a, an interesting point and I think his performance is what stops X-Men 3 from being so bad. Yeah. It is simply ridiculous and laughable and that makes it Awful and horrible to watch because there is this something of quality in there.
0: It's not the whole way through, but there are moments in X-Men 3 when he is totally committed to... I mean, again, he loses Charles in that. He has to murder Gene. It's a shit movie, but he's committed to it. Uh, let's see our X-Men 3 episode for, for why and how bad that film is. Uh, he's the second best thing in Days of Future Past. Although it's a, it's a great performance, it's the McAvoy and... Stewart combining scene Mm. that really is the highlight and again that then feeds back into Patrick Stewart being the other best thing in all of those movies that he's in
1: I open my mind and it almost overwhelms me you're afraid and Cerebro knows it all those voices so Much pain. It's not that pain you're afraid of. It's yours, Charles. And as frightening as it may be, that pain will make you stronger. If you allow yourself to feel it, embrace it, it will make you more powerful than you ever imagined. It's the greatest gift we have. ...to bear their pain without breaking. And it's born from
0: the most human part. Hope. Apart from three, where he's given this flawed, deceptive, ill-considering Charles... ...who has locked Jean's bad side away for all these years... ...and now they're reaping the whirlwind. And rather than explore Literally. that... He just goes, I'm going to go and talk to Gene. Gene, you can't do this. Oh, I'm being disintegrated. Bye, I'm leaving the series. Bye. (laughs) Which allows me to think that if this was in continuity, Wolverine could go, remember that time we buried you? How the fuck did you come back from that? Because it's never explained anywhere.
2: Indeed. I think for me, though, the fact that it's... They use that weird CG face smoothing to make him look younger. Makes it quite easy for me to go, that's not actually Patrick Stewart. They only do it for the beginning. No, I know, but that sets Mm. up the the kind of mental idea that he's not really there.
0: X-Men Origins Wolverine. Again, he takes way more seriously than the material deserves. And... But, you know, his performance in The Wolverine transcends how crappy the end of that film is. The last 25 minutes of garbage water. So if you were going to sum up the Wolverine trilogy in three sounds, it would be... (laughs) "Mm." So, yeah, you've got this series of being the best thing in all of these mostly mediocre films. And now this is the... We're going to channel all of that into a eulogy. And so when he falls apart, it's devastating in a way that a character you've only spent three or four hours with wouldn't and couldn't be. What are these? You remember what they are. The shots, No, the seizures, the pills keep them from happening.
1: How about you blowing them to make him safe? Fuck off, Logan. Well, so you remember who I am now. I always know who you are. It's just sometimes I don't
0: recognize you regarding the harrowing footage that Gabriella captures on her phone the fact that they are largely latino kids uh, being exploited in this facility and treated as livestock treated as uh, subjects it really yeah. hammers it home it's 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 done without you know a shred of this even really being a movie it, it just feels very close to the bone very the kind of thing you'd see on a documentary on netflix um, a professionally done one, about exploitation, and it feels <sighs> uncomfortably current in terms of marginalising people of colour. Um,
2: Specifically poor yeah, people of colour. Yeah, poor it people of colour who
0: who are far too easy to sweep to one side and go, well, you know, if it benefits us.
2: Yeah, I mean, Gabriella makes the point that the, the, the Mexican girls that are used to basically carry these children mm-hmm. are... People who will not be asked about when they disappear. And the nurses who are brought in to um, to care for their physical needs, if not their emotional needs, are thought to be so poor that they'll just take the money and not ask any questions.
0: My prayer is that Logan dates like crazy. That in 25 years' time, kids watch Logan and go, wow, did they think the world was going to be like this?
2: We can but hope.
0: I want kids to go, this is an alien world... Because we now all know about the whole, you know, that, that terrible virus that struck the rich in 2018. Mm. And, uh, you know, it just only seemed to affect people with a bank balance above a certain level. <laughs> and they were just dropping like flies. And, and when their money had to be redistributed throughout the uh, population, suddenly it seemed to solve everything. It was, it was so weird, that 2018, um, the the revision, they called it. Mm. Um, tinfoil hats on, folks. I'll meet you down at the docks. <laughs> um, <laughs> It only affected people with at least two offshore accounts. (laughs) We think it's travelling to them through the internet. Continue, sorry.
2: There's a a point where Gabriella finds Laura cutting her arms and watching them heal. And Laura turns around and looks at her when she walks into the room. And the expression on Daphne Keane's face in that moment is... It's it's quite subtle, but to me, it's this this kind of what the hell am I look?
0: What is Caesar?
2: Yeah, um, which is not unlike some of the emotions that that Logan has gone through in his own life, and this is this is what I think. The idea that um, part of this is going back to the beginning of. Logan's life. And this, building on what you were saying about the, the previous films, are important for the little bits of information that they, they give to you. Even if what this interpretation is, um, is that the, the previous X-Men movies are fictionalised versions of things that really happened in the history of this movie they use the comics to sort of have this idea of this stuff happened but people have reimagined it they've emphasized the heroic behaviors and not you know they've cut out all the stuff about people getting killed and and that's what frustrates logan that these comics present an idealized version of of events that he's lived through
0: i I noticed a uh youtube video just before we started this saying where is logan in the timeline x-men explained and i just thought you're missing the point the comics don't even make any sense they're an anomaly the art is very deliberately late 80s the comics suggest some kind of cataclysmic mutant-based event which would have to have taken place in the 80s in which case who were the mutants that charles killed just a few months ago It's clear that the X-Men were famous and popular and beloved like the Avengers. They got comics and action figures made of them. And those have been around for about 40 years.
2: And if they're deliberately retro, why are they still using paper?
0: Yeah. We never got to see this version of the X-Men. And even though Wolverine says none of this ever happened, only maybe some of it happened, whatever did happen was enough to make the X-Men known to the world to be providers of hope rather than villains skulking in the shadows. Even if that hope was only to other mutants. The comics and the fact that they're from the 80s are an anomaly. Wolverine wasn't with the X-Men until around about 2000, 2004, if you're really going to follow the original timeline, and he wasn't with the even the alternate X-Men. He had the chance and ran away in, in Apocalypse, so that definitely didn't happen. And that's fine, it's fine that the comics don't make sense. In fact, it is better that the comics don't make a whole lot of sense because by their very nature, by their inclusion, by their anomalous existence, they call into question everything we've seen, allowing us to bin all previous continuity in favor of what we're seeing. And I say that as someone who has been a continuity obsessed assbag enough in the past to make at least one video on exactly this.
2: So yeah, so so one of the points that Mangold made in the commentary was that he wanted to start with a story about what Logan fears the most and that that is not any kind of physical threat to himself or pain or um, you know physical pain at least or uh, any kind of of personal experience of, of unpleasantness but it's about being vulnerable and dependent on other people. That's the thing that he fears. Um, And it occurred to me that when Charles says about Laura is very much like you, she's really like him. Like, she looks a little bit like the kid they brought in to play James Howler in in um, Wolverine's colour. Um, And the way he loses his almost humanity when he first transforms he's so terrified he turns into this snarling little animal mm. um, and there are notes of that in her and having somebody around who was reminiscent of that time for him bearing in mind how much his mind has healed over all of this because he has this trauma responsive amnesia thing mm. um, to to have that that feeling triggered again by having this child around that that even if he doesn't remember why would potentially make him remember that moment of mm. his own first transformation and how how terrifying that was
0: she would unsettle him with her presence
2: absolutely and and just that he basically spends the rest of the film trying to keep that down Mm. because when that kind of fear comes back up it it can control and dominate everything you do because you're trying to isolate yourself from whatever it is that set it off you're trying to deal with the resurging memory that's coming up inside you and then anything that's happening in between those things you're having to juggle all of that as well so it's an incredibly all-encompassing response Um, but Laura doesn't seem to have that brain trauma healing thing mm. she remembers she remembers what's gone on she remembers she remembers what Shane
0: happens. word for word she
2: remembers Shane word for word she remembers her friends she hasn't blocked any of that out now I know it's relatively recent but if she had that same thing that he does that when bad things happen he basically heals over them I think you would see her um, responding a lot less to to things that are consequences of stuff that's happened before
0: No. She's an evolution of him, hence the the placement of her third claws on each uh, side on her feet so that she can use them defensively. Uh, It is illustrative that she is a better version of him. The fact that she's female rather than male... With uh, what uh, Marston said about how women are actually evolved better to take over the planet than men.
2: Uh, The Fifth Element also says, well of course the supreme being of any species is going to be female.
0: But we also saw a a video the other day called You're Wrong about Batman v Superman. And it uh, proceeded to tell us that there were themes in Batman v Superman that we hadn't considered And uh, there are actually, if we look at it, that all of that complaining about Batman being this bad, ugly, violent person, um, he's gone on down the wrong path. And that, you know, the whole Superman thing at the end, it fixes him so that he's no longer bad Batman. And, And that we had jumped the gun, and what we'd done is say that Batman v Superman was a bad film, when in fact it's a really, really good film. Right. I know there are themes in Batman v Superman. We went over them. Diligently throughout the three hours of podcast, we know them back to front, up and down. We know them better than Zack Snyder knows them himself. My problem with BBS is not that it is an empty and meaningless movie. I, I get that there are intelligent ideas reached for. My problem is the execution of those intelligent ideas. My problem is the horrible structure of the film and how generally unpleasant it is to experience every single second of it. Logan manages all of its thematic coherence without shoving anything in your face, without asking you to endure anything beyond the pain that the characters are feeling. Hugh Jackman plays Logan first, and a meta-commentary on Wolverine second, not the other way around. It never basks in its own self-importance. It's always small-scale. It's always personal. You show a child the work of Zack Snyder, they will ask, Why are Batman and Superman so mean? They won't understand why what's happening is happening. And while a child could scarcely comprehend what the old men are going through in Logan or the complexity or conflict of what they both feel. And while a child certainly shouldn't be watching the violent bits, a child can understand this is about two men protecting a small girl, until she doesn't need it anymore. Lyra loves this film, and I was careful to make sure she didn't see the slaughter of the Munson family. That's, there's some sickening violence in this film. And while it is all relevant and all valid... Within the context of the story, you don't necessarily have to see the Munsons die close up. And when I watched it a th- second and third time, I realised that as, as horrific as those those murders are, they actually pull away a lot more than, say, a particularly salacious film like, I don't know, Watchmen, where they dwell on the violence. They
2: dwell on the loss, they don't dwell on the moment of killing.
0: Yeah, it's not about how grisly it is, although it is manifestly grisly. Yeah. Uh, it's about what's being taken away, mm. as you say.
2: And the, it's also when something particularly horrendous does happen, um, there's always a a particular thing that is being communicated as part of it. When um, Catherine comes down the hallway with the shotgun mm. and she calls out to Nate and he's he's already dead and he's lying in the doorway and it's pretty apparent that she can see him, and yet her immediate reaction is not to drop the gun, shriek and rush over. Mm. It's to tell X-24 to put Laura down. Yeah. And when um, Logan comes back into the house and he's, uh, X-24's walking down the stairs with Laura in hand, there's this incredible moment of decision on his face, on Logan's face and he lets X-24 walk out with Laura and he goes up the stairs because Charles and the Munsons are not able to withstand whatever X-24 is going to do Laura has a better chance of surviving whatever he could do to her and the fact that he's walking out with her in shackles and hasn't hurt her yet says they want her alive
0: I hadn't considered that. I, I figured he was just uh, in a real hurry to get up to Charles to see if he was okay. He weighs it up. Part of him is all you know has already rejected the idea of looking after this girl, and then uh, a weak part of him might be saying, "This is your chance to not have to look after her. Just get back to Charles. If Charles is alive, you're okay. Charles is not alive for many more seconds." Mm-hmm. And his there's a passing of the torch of Logan is looking after Charles, and then Logan is looking after Laura, mm-hmm. and then Laura is looking after Logan.
2: Yeah, and the parallel of the um, the torch passing from Charles being his charge to Laura being his charge is the... Charles it's Charles. I know, I thought it even... Sorry, necessity. I'm sorry. sorry,
0: I didn't mean to interrupt you, Kevin.
2: Um, no, 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 it's okay. Like I said, I thought it myself. Um, it's in how he carries them.
0: Yeah. He
2: carries Charles at the beginning, yeah. and that's how he carries Laura when he takes her to the truck. There's mm-hmm. also a parallel in when they're getting away from their lair at the beginning he goes smelting his, plant. yeah his actions are not entirely about self-preservation in that when Pearson and the Reavers are there um, he goes back in for Charles which puts him at risk um, he starts a fight with Pierce over that Pierce basically implies he's killed Caliban he doesn't have to do those things In that moment, he's acting in response to his feelings of responsibility towards his family. At that time, Laura is not a part of his family. By this point in the film, she
0: is. Logan is filled with dark reflections of our culture. This is just going back to my previous statement. Um, And it's not showy about them, but they never make it clear or they never make their judgment that Logan is the way he is because of our culture. Whereas with Batman and Superman, it seems like, well, how can these heroic champion men be who they really need to be in a world where their exceptionalism is not seen as uh, something that is wanted and embraced by the public, especially Kal-El? In this film, it is manifestly clear, Logan's problems are because of Logan. It's not about... Things would be great if it weren't for society. It's... Logan's fucked. And there is a mirror here in that society's fucked. Everything's breaking down and old. And it doesn't seem like there could be the possibility of renewal. Which is, of course, this... Thing you didn't even realise you were searching for until the end of the film. I've got to mention Boyd Holbrook as Pierce here. What You know... He was... Threatening and kind of oddball, funny in the trailers. That moment where he's like, you know, say, you know, holding up his uh, finger warningly to Laura, like as though uh, a parent scolding a child. No. And then the second time he says it, he's fucking terror. He betrays how terrified he is. He goes, no, and it's like there's a tremor in his voice. No. 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 <laughs> In the final sound mix of the movie, the no is slightly muffled by the growing tension music. And the sound doesn't cut away in that manner that tells you shit's about to explode. All right. No. No. Move! Go! But it is still there.
2: But you do have the bit where he steps back and hides behind the Reavers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He could have been Gambit. You know, like, Taylor Kitsch originally got the role. They've been dancing, dancing around Channing Tatum for years. Boyd Holbrook had that laid-back, southern charm thing going. I know um, Gambit's Cajun, but, it, you know, ultimately, whoever, like... <laughs> Channing Tatum ain't Cajun either. I mean, ultimately, you just got to go, oh, on And to be able to... No, she's shaking her head, no. <laughs> you got to say, oh, good moonshine, make Jack Rabbit <laughs> slap the bear. That's how Cajuns talk, apparently. (laughs) I learned it from the documentary, Hard Target. Um, But yeah, now, Boyd Holbrook, balancing threat and dogged determination with a dangerous fear of his own inability to measure up. In the backstory, Donald Pierce in this is something of a Wolverine fanboy. He's trying to impress him. But he and the Reavers are, like, corrupt Federalis.
2: I did wonder, actually, whether there's an element of uh, mechanisation to them. There's a point where I, I may have misheard, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but um, uh, when Boyd holds up his hand, when uh, Pierce holds up his hand um, to get them to stop, he says, command, stop.
1: Laura. Uh...
0: You want to see your friends,
2: right?
0: Command. That. whether they are themselves mechanized and uh, impelled to follow orders uh, with implants in their brains it is clear that they've been cybernetically augmented to make them better than humans rice has eliminated mutants given humans cybernetic implants and now wants to harness the mutant gene to be able to create mutants and unfortunately as with all mad scientists like stranger things firestarter akira It's not going to work out for you guys. Let's just say I'm Frankenstein's monster. I'm looking for my creator. Everyone who's ever tried to harness Wolverine, it's not going. It's not been working out with Wolverine for the best part of what fifty years since Weapon X.
2: Mm, Yeah, and he is Rice didn't work with Deadpool either. Uh, painfully Frankenstein at this point. Basically he's like okay, I want the mutants all dead, but I want their bits to be able to stitch together and make Mm. into a better mutant.
0: Rice is terrifying. If you listen to what he says and how committed he says it, he's not fanatical. He's that whole thing about everyone thinks they're righteous. Mm. He mentions the corn syrup thing and it's at a time that's very dramatic so you're focused on what's going on with Laura and Logan, but They modified the corn to eliminate the X-gene, and that just went into all the soda across America and then across the world, and that simply made mutants not born anymore. And then it was simply a case of hunting down all the uh, existing mutants with Caliban, and I'm going to go ahead and guess some sentinels were involved. And they were just gone because of just tampering with the thing that everyone likes to drink. But in such a like believable way of eliminating something, mm-hmm. like rather than going for the Nazi death camps and the um, you know, that the, the overly crass Days of Future Past Terminator future. But when Rice talks, did you catch when he he's talking to Caliban, he commands him to breathe when Caliban's getting upset and angry with him. He says breathe. He says it's the same thing to Pierce. He says breathe in an almost kind way, in a kind of I'm going to help you, you know, get through with this, and that's a. Uh, perfectly horrible bit of characterization. He is able to control the breath of the people he's talking to. It's almost like a mutant power in terms of... He's like, no, no, I'm I'm giving you license to breathe at this point. I'm going to help you calm yourself down. Uh, You know, if you listen to me, we can discuss it sensibly, like grown-ups. And because he's British, he has that kind of earnest... Like, he's a British villain, but at the same time, it seems like what he's saying must have some validity to it, because otherwise, how could he be so posh?
2: He's entirely scientific and amoral. Mm.
0: And he doesn't gloat about anything. No. He's, he doesn't moustache twirl, and, and, yeah, he's amoral, and it's wonderful at the moment when, like, just shortly after he explains all this shit, Logan just blows his head off, just shoots him like that. He's monologuing, but he's doing so to prevent further violence. He's trying to take away their fight. And it's an unexpected. It's not really done for fun at all, but it's just fantastic to see that that happen in a film where, you know, the the big bad ultimately isn't anywhere near as important as what's going on, mm. uh, and, and what is ultimately going on becomes, and we'll come to this later, uh, a fight between Wolverine and his shadow.
2: Yeah, it's it's not as if he um, he wants harm to be caused. Um, But basically, he's entirely happy with harm being caused as a means to his end, to to what he's trying to achieve. And however many eggs have to be broken in the process, he's absolutely fine with that. He would prefer not to have to break said eggs himself, Hmm. um, but he is entirely fine with them. Uh, being broken, Mm. which, I mean, you've you've got to think about, well, no, you don't have to think about because it's it's terrible and it's horrible. But if they put this stuff in the corn syrup that eliminated the X gene, the only way I can think that that would work on a massive scale is basically that any fetus with the X gene would miscarry. Yeah. Because you can't prevent mutation at all. That's not how it works.
0: The finale that takes place in the woods is oddly reminiscent of the beginning of Act 3 of X-Men 3 The Last Stand, only in a film that knows what it's doing. The forest run, this is the only place it could have ended. Specifically, it almost harkens back to an origin film that never happened, which is uh, Logan staggering around in the woods, not knowing who he is. Or a recurring scenario in the comics, Logan living in the forest, living rough, hunting, that happened at the beginning of The Wolverine. In touch with nature, a man who may be an animal, or an animal who may be a man, because of course all men are animals. They never really did that in uh, X Men Origins Wolverine. Remember, like he runs away from the dam, and then he pitches up at Mar and Park Kent's house. There's never like weeks of him wandering around in the snow, half naked or fully naked, and just completely unaware of who he is. They didn't spend the time to really put across that lost sense of displacement of Wolverine. But the fact that it ends here in the woods, so close to Canada as well, Mm -hmm. they're in North Dakota, which is the border. And again, they don't hammer that home. He never points to a map and goes, ah, we're just below Canada. It's just if you know your geography. In X-Men Origins, that, that film, Sabretooth was real. There's a uh, deleted scene where one of the uh, kids asks him, "Was Sabretooth, he's got action figures of Wolverine and Sabretooth, was Sabretooth real? And Wolverine says, uh, yeah, he was real. He was in a program with me. I not like what they did to you.
1: So you did some mean things with them. Yeah. But now you're doing good things. Kid. I
0: don't know what I'm doing. Originally, when X-24 was mooted, it was as a replacement for Sabretooth. They were going to bring back, probably leave Schreiber and have Sabretooth there carrying out all the duties of uh, Rice and for it to be uh, about this guy, like, you know, If we're going to cleave to X-Men Origins Wolverine, it's the the guy who's been hanging around Logan his whole life. Except that it's not his whole life. He hasn't seen Sabretooth for 50 years. He met him once at the top of the Statue of Liberty. He didn't recognise him. They haven't adhered to the Logan-Sabretooth relationship, the Logan-Creed relationship. They couldn't be bothered.
2: We don't
0: don't exist. exist. (laughs) Same as with the Hulk. Don't make it about Sabretooth. And they were absolutely right not to do that. The point is, Creed always represented Logan's darker side being, you know, gleefully used as a weapon. So to actually take Logan himself being used in that way is so much more powerful than just bringing back Lee Schreiber and going, Remember this guy? Did anyone remember seeing that film? And like, everyone's like, No, I scrubbed it from my memory. I didn't even think it was canon anymore. Mm. So uh, it it just made so much more sense for it to be. a James Howlett clone. The empty shell, Logan without a soul. Just meat and metal. Uh, And the adamantium bullet, one of the things everyone complained about. It's like bringing back midi-chlorians. And at the same time, by the end you're like, I'm really glad those midi-chlorians were there because that adamantium bullet that everyone hated so much, they turn it into a character point. They turn it into a plot point. The idea that this is the one thing Logan's been saving. The idea of his control, his reclaiming his life, even though his reclaiming his life is simply to put an end to it. But uh, we would recommend you track down the movie Shane, because uh, fewer young people would have seen that film today uh, than um, you know their, their uh, grandfathers also watching Logan with them. Um, the fact that uh, Charles makes it that uh, you know notes that it was a film he saw when he was very very young about Laura's age. It's the idea of going back to the beginning and, uh, you know, at the exact point of the end. And... Shane is a heartbreaking film to watch once you've seen Logan. It's about a man... It's similar to Unforgiven, a man of form of violence who's trying to leave that behind him but has to employ it for protection.
2: And they are um, underlined specifically with the words that are used and to just briefly jump to the end... Um, when Laura says about uh, at Logan's graveside, she does the speech from the end. Mm. Um, the bit about there's no more guns in the valley. Mm. It, it's... Uh, the man of violence has to take himself away from the peaceful family scene, ultimately, because he's the last gun. Yeah. He has to be removed in order for them to go back to peace. Yeah. And that is effectively what Logan does by the end of this. He does what he has to do and then he removes himself. He is, re- well, he doesn't remove himself, but he is removed from the picture.
0: Technically, he does remove himself. Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it made me think of um, the Iron Giant. Yeah. I am not a gun. It's not. Ultimately, he is. But what he can do is remove himself so that he cannot be used as a gun.
0: Terminator 2. There's one yeah. chip remaining. Yeah. Tap tap.
2: Absolutely. And is is this what the the paternal role is seen as in our society? Somebody who has to engage in violence and aggression in order to protect the next generation and then remove themselves so that that violence and aggression does not infect the next generation.
0: Han Solo. So many parallels in in when films are depicting the natural order that the elderly step aside willingly mm. to allow the young to make their own mistakes, but flourish as a result. Yeah,
2: it's and in fact, the upending of that natural order is highlighted in um, Lord of the Rings. The young perish and the old linger. Yeah, and it's that is a source of great. Um, distress for Theoden, that he has outlived his son.
0: And in one of the uh, dystopias where everything seems like it it's, you know, livable, uh, never let me go, it's this horrible world where the old linger and the young are the effectively young are used to, 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 keep to be going. consumed to keep them going.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For all of our ragging on Andrew Garfield uh, in... Um, Amazing Spider-Man his performance in Never Let Me Go is fantastic
2: mm, yeah it's also one of the best performances I've seen from Kira Knightley
0: yeah there's an, uh, a, a deliberate contrast between the the inhumanity of over mechanisation and how the uh, alkali company and the Reavers have shut themselves off from humanity, the drone trucks driving around the place, beeping in a kind of, you better get out of the way, because I'm not stopping. That's uh, bad science progress, the idea that science will continue forwards unmercifully uh, at the expense of um, home and family. And obviously, this is contrasted with the Munsons, who are um, struggling, but holding those values Mm. to themselves and are mercilessly cut down Mm. by progress saying, you better get out of the way, I'm coming straight through. Mm.
2: That moment on the road, by the way, when um, the horses get loose and they have to try and um, Mm. bring them back in. These
0: outmoded vehicles that have no place in this world of automated trucks anymore.
2: But it also it serves to demonstrate that Charles is not only this potentiality for massive harm there is also still things that he can do with that incredible brain of his that help rather than hurting he um he connects with the horses to bring them back in um and it's it's just sort of that that almost seems like a way of showing that it's everything is not black and white. It's not that he is now totally this deteriorated being that needs to not exist anymore so that he can't threaten anyone.
0: Yeah. Um And when X-24 turns up, there's this kind of um, music to it. Uh, and uh, Beltrami deliberately didn't want to just do a heroic score for the heroes and, um, a, a, a bassy, threatening score for the um, uh, villains. It's the, This score breathes, is probably the best way of mm. putting it. It goes in and out, and the the um, harmonica has that old Western feel to it, but it was in The Wolverine as well, with a Japanese twang mm. the whole way through. So it feel, these two films work consistently. If it weren't for the fact that the last quarter of um, The Wolverine is... Garbage, hot garbage, it would make a Kill Bill-style duo. Not an equal Kill Bill-style duo, but they would go together very well. Mm. And there is a point in The Wolverine where Yukio says the following. Logan. What?
1: I saw you die.
0: What, just now?
1: A while ago. It's not like I get a complete picture. More like looking through a keyhole but I'm always right. So what did you see? It's you on your back. There's blood everywhere. You're holding your own heart in your hand.
0: And James Mangold has said that the ending is most definitely a callback to that moment, or at least that moment calls forward to Logan's actual end he's not on a table, he's lying against a log but he's holding his heart in his hand insofar as what Laura represents so that makes The Wolverine a better film purely by that little retcon slash adjoining detail Hmm. and X-24 himself itself is positioned as the Terminator it's what The Wolverine would be if you take away the man from the animal it's an attack dog, a thing sent in to do precisely what it's told, mm. to carve out with surgical precision what it needs to. Mm. Recall, if you will, Logan's utter contempt for Agent Zero in exactly the same position in the otherwise execrable X-Men Origins Wolverine. I have a job for you. Well, I already have a job.
3: Lumberjack.
0: 18
1: grand a year? 18.5. Plus, I haven't had to kill anyone in a while. Starting to miss it? Right about now I am. Yeah. Zero. Back to the car. Attaboy.
2: a boy. Yeah. And the fact that it can only do what it's been programmed to do, it will only listen to rice. Mm. It won't obey anybody else
0: almost like the Reavers are a throwback. The fact that they've uh, got these cybernetic limbs and it's like, ah, you have got cybernetic limbs. That's so '80s <laughs> and well, you got n- the red
2: eyed
0: '90s as well. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, the uh, there's a little bit of a repetition of the idea of the the family group of three as well. Um, you've got Charles Logan and Caliban at the beginning, um, and then Caliban is then replaced with Laura when they take off. Yeah. Um, you've also got Rice, Pierce, and X24. Yeah. And then the Munsons, uh Will, Catherine and Nate. Yeah. Um and this, this sort of these little tiny family groups, because that's that's a small family. Mm. Um that's an unusually small family. Um but it, it repeats and that idea of um of these little families intersecting with each other and, and conflicting with each other.
0: Mm. One of the saddest things about the film, I mean it's it's like I said, as soon as Charles starts talking at the beginning, my, my tears started welling up. But when he confides in Logan and tells him he's had the most perfect day for a very, very long time, one of the saddest things is that Logan never gets to hear that. Hmm. He only gets a, a little tiny bit at the end about the sun chaser. But Charles was saying that to nobody. It's possible Laura hurt. She though.
2: did. She was awake.
1: Don't wake her yet. Let her sleep another hour. You know, Logan, this was, without a doubt, the most perfect night I've had in a very long time. And I don't deserve it, do I? I did something, something unspeakable. I've remembered what happened in Westchester. This is not the first time I've heard people. Until today I didn't know. You wouldn't tell me. So we just kept on running away from it. I think I finally understand you.
0: That it doesn't might...
2: matter that she doesn't tell, isn't able to tell Logan. Mm.
0: It... Because it affects her.
2: Yeah, it will it will carry on with her. It and that...
0: cements and fortifies that sense of value she had of that gathering. Yeah. That that's what life should be like.
2: Absolutely. And I think as well it kind of, it, it also will give her that feeling of her, her father... Doing a good thing and being a good person, and she's heard that from a third party. Yeah, you know, someone who's been able to tell her that they understand what good he was trying to do, um, and what comfort he was trying to give Charles by not telling him, mm-hmm. um, even if it it didn't really achieve anything. There's there's a lot of um, symbolism of hands in this as well, um, and, uh, and Mangold talked about it in the commentary. But the the this repetitive theme of a hand can be a tool or a weapon you can use it to care and soothe or you can use it to kill or you can use it to accomplish something Um, and there's lots of moments where hands are being used in a very specific way Um, even Logan's claws which are effectively just this murderous blade he uses them to free Laura from her shackles just cut straight through them And then when he buries Charles, there's a very strong feeling of he's doing this by hand. He he has a shovel and he digs it, and you don't see absolutely. You don't see the um, the children. Build the cairn for Logan at the end, but obviously they did, and they would have had to do that by hand. Although Richter probably could have helped a little bit. <laughs> She's just rolling the stones up from the lake. I've just been um, doing it by
0: hand. I never thought about that.
2: And um, and Laura uh, going to hold his hand when they're um, when they stood next to the grave, and him pulling away from her. Um, and again, this is another moment where watching it in the uh, in the noir version had a really strong impact for me because. He's so grey at this point. It looks as though, basically, the world has burned down around him and he's covered in ash, mm. um, which is which really emphasises the funereal element of that whole scene. And when you see it in colour, they're in relatively bright sunlight, so it's, um, it's not quite the same. Um, but I loved that. Um, but what I really, really love about this bit is what happens next when he uh, walks away to the truck... Um, And starts beating the shit out of it. Because here's where something happens that hasn't really happened before. We shift to Laura's point of view. Mm. And there's been moments where Logan's not been present and it's only been her that's witnessed something. You've got the scene near the beginning where the reaver comes into the... um, the smelting plant and she sat at the table. Mm, But we don't stay with her. But we don't stay with her. And that's more about him going in there to get her. Um, You've got the moment when um, X-24 comes into the room and she's watching, but that's about Charles. Mm. Uh, But here, this is actually what Laura sees. And for the first time, instead of focusing on her, we're focusing from her. Mm. And then when it cuts to the bit where uh, Logan wakes up in the clinic... Her attitude after that is completely different. She's not this animalistic, instinctive little child anymore. She is totally in control when she walks out of that clinic. She's got the keys. She's got the map. She's insisting on being able to drive. She's got the walk. She's got the walk, absolutely. She chooses when she speaks she chooses what language she speaks in and when he starts to keel she's the one that takes the wheel and, and pulls them back in line and this is really the moment where it's hes he's gone basically at this point once he's buried Charles that he's was on his borrow- end point. yeah exactly he's on borrowed time now
0: yeah. I noted that uh, when the uh, when he's being winched up in black and white it looks like he's being pulled out of a grave mm-hmm. by the children they're like yeah. nope you're not dead yet come back up you got one more fight left in you Absolutely
2: absolutely and this this place that they come to this eden that they they find See see eden, eden. <laughs> <laughs> that they find themselves fetching up at I I love this the fact that Eden is not as it's been portrayed in the comics and this is what Wolverine, this is what Logan has said to her all along, it's not real, somebody made this up. But here's the thing, Charles starts it by saying it doesn't matter, that it's not real, it's real for Laura and that's why we're going to keep going and you, and this is our this is our goal because it's real for her and right now that's what's important it doesn't matter what's real for us we're old men we're nearly gone it's what's for her and when they get there the children have made eden for themselves and what the the absolute beauty of what this has become to me is that eden is a word that means paradise it's it's a a place of um stagnation and um and and stasis where things don't change and everything's perfect and and when i say it is this is what people usually use it to mean it's heaven it's this place where everything's always wonderful and you don't have to worry about anything anymore it's a place of rest that's death this is not a paradise this is a launch pad this is where we gather to go on to the next place. And it, it really made me think of, of what we said about the, um, the launch pad at the space centre. The fact that you're stood there on the coast of Florida looking out over this massive ocean and it looks like you're standing at the edge of the world. But it's the edge, it's not the end. It's a platform, it's where you go on to the next thing. And I really got that sense of, you know, this is the place where we wait for a little while to gather together as many people as we can and then we go. When we have our window, we go.
0: I love the fact that you never really got to meet the kids that much. They, uh, that they, their one major thing that they do, apart from in a really truly grisly way, killing Donald. Um, just like, all getting together and going, well, this is a shit job, but we've all got to do it because otherwise we're never going to be free.
2: Mm. That's uh, the one moment their rage surfaces. Yes.
0: Um, but what they do is this delightful childlike thing of, of like shaving him and just you know, snipping away with these little nail scissors all at once. It reminds me of the beginning of the orphanage when all the little hands come out and start pulling away the wallpaper to uncover secrets. Um, they're reshaping him into the hero mm. that they believe he is. And they're they're bringing the mantle that he used to have back to him for one last fight, for one last moment. They're allowing him to go from being Logan to being Wolverine Mm -hmm. again one last time. And he accepts it. And he accepts it. And the finale, the absolute end, is about as perfect and as sorrowful but as... Hopeful and heartfelt as any end for any character that I could think of. Take your friends and run. And they'll, they'll keep coming and
1: coming. You don't have to fight anymore.
0: They really knocked it out of the park with this. It's impossible to watch without it stabbing at you. Don't. Extraordinarily delicate for such a rough man. multiple layers. This is what it feels like to be mortal. This is what it really feels like to die. This is what it feels like to have a family. This is what it feels like to love. And to feel that you're not alone in the world. And that part of you will carry on. It's genuinely life-affirming. And the fact that it's countered with daddy that word, not just father or Logan or any other word, just daddy—an appropriately used word for a small girl, not a savage weapon—and that he specifically says, um, "Don't be what they made you." Even though her um, her eulogy for him says, "You know, you can't change; uh, you can't go against the grain." Um, you can't change who you are. Ultimately, you know, if she cleaves to that, then she's a killer, died in the wall for the rest of her existence. But she is exorcising that part of herself, that basically saying, you know, we can we can go now. You know, we don't have to necessarily run anymore. If they come for us, I can bring this mantle back but it's not something I need for survival necessarily right now. The no more guns in the valley thing is absolving her from the need for further violence
2: There is another layer to that as well. Go for it Um, The line is a man can only be what he is a child (laughs) can be anything they want to be and that don't be what they made you is he's saying that to himself as well ultimately X24 is the very worst of what he was made to be, and that has now been destroyed. Laura is the very best of what he was made to be, and he's sending her on. <laughs>
0: Next week, we're doing Rogue One. And keep an eye on the main podcast feed because to celebrate the launch of The Last Jedi, I'm re releasing Ultimate Editions of the original Star Wars trilogy. I've been Alex Shaw.
2: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And school's, school's out. out.
1: Oh.